what we're talking about from our statement of commitments. I don't know how many of you have seen it. They're available at the information desk, statement of commitments of leaders and, har- and members of Harvest. Harvest Community Church doesn't have an official organizational membership, but we do have values. We're calling them commitments that we uh, want to grow in grace together in pursuing. So the, the first one that's listed there is from um, our from the eight commitments of Harvest members. And a member of the body of Christ is it's a biblical word. It just talks about someone who's connected to Christ, who's part of his church. And so this first one has to do with spiritual disciplines. And what we're saying is this. In dependence upon the gracious help of the Holy Spirit, I commit to growing in faith and in practice of the following. And then several are, are listed. So the first one here has to do with my personal spiritual life. And that reads like this. I will endeavor to maintain a close relationship with the Lord Jesus through regular personal Bible reading, prayer, confession of sin, and practice of the other spiritual disciplines. So we're going to take the next two weeks and talk about the two most fundamental spiritual disciplines, if you will, of Bible reading and prayer. Most of the other commitments involve what we do together as a community, uh, the community life, the one another life of the church. But even though personal Bible reading and one's personal prayer are, well, those are personal, they still feed into the overall health of the church because they give us strength and health as Christians, and that contributes to the overall health and strength of the church. Or reading God's Word is like eating or exercise. It's not an end in itself, but it's a means of living, growing, and thriving. It can't be merely a checklist item. It requires discipline and intentionality so it becomes more and more naturally a part of of your life. It's like athletic drills or practicing music or skills for your job or anything else worthwhile. It prepares you for doing what you're training for. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at a few verses from 2 Timothy that talks about the value of God's Word, what God's Word is, And then we're going to draw out eight principles for reading God's Word in particular. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17 is the text we're going to look at. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 17. But as for you, he's writing, this is Paul writing to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from from whom you have learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. So that's our main message is that the reason we read God's word is so that we may be equipped for every good work that God would call us to. Let's make some brief comments on the text itself. Uh, Verse 14 talks about continuing in what we have learned. Paul says to Timothy, knowing from whom you have learned that, from whom you have learned what you've learned. And as this applies to God's word, obviously the way that we continue in what we've learned is to stay in God's word, reading God's word. There's no been there, done that when it comes to God's word. We need to keep growing in it. And that includes reading it. That's a very central part of of what we do. 
And then in verse 15, he talks about from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ. All scripture relates to Jesus Christ. It is either preparing us for Christ, pointing to the need for, for Christ. It either it pictures or prefigures Christ. It's a prophecy of Christ. Or it presents Christ for what he did and who he was and is. Or it teaches us principles of living in Christ. Jesus said to uh, the Pharisees, Moses wrote of me. You should know who I am because Moses wrote about me. He said some disciples were foolish and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus himself said, all the scripture points to me. And so all the scripture is Jesus-centered. Only God's word reveals the person and work of Jesus Christ, that is his death, his resurrection, his life, his ascension, and the fact that he's going to return. We don't get that anywhere else but the scripture. So the scripture is all about Jesus. The scriptures alone can make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ. This is one of the main plain things in the Bible. You know, in the Bible, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things, right? Well, this is the mainest and plainest thing in the Bible. That through faith in Jesus, because of his death and resurrection and his ascension, by faith in him, we receive eternal life. That is the message, the central centerpiece of the scripture. And through that, once we enter that door, the, inner, the doorway to relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ, we begin to understand his word. And then Paul says in verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is breathed out by God. What he's saying there is all scripture is the result of God's working and in and upon people by his inspiration. Now, literally, that word is God breathed. In fact, there's no evidence. Uh, scholars can't find the use of that word before Paul used it here. So Paul may have made up this word. He invented a word to describe how did we get the word of God. It's something that God literally breathed into people who wrote the scripture. Now, um, that all, all he's saying is all scripture originates and has its source in God and gets its character from God. God ensured that what he wanted us to have in his revelation, we have. To say that all scripture is breathed out by God, that is inspired by God, doesn't mean that the 40 biblical writers became robots or went into trances as they wrote. It just means that God so superintended the process that the recording of the events, the use of historical materials, everything, the eyewitness testimonies, everything that God used worked in the lives of people in their natural lives, the prophecies and the revelation of promises and teaching everything, every piece, every type of of, of literature that's in the scripture because scripture contains poetry, historical material, it contains eyewitness account, it contains letters. It's, it's not just a single type of literature. So it's a combination of all kinds of, of input. God ensured that all of that was exactly as he wanted it to be. That's what it means that scripture is God-breathed. He didn't take over the personalities of the people. He just ensured they wrote exactly what he wanted to, to, to be written. So that we have the words of the living God through people. And that means that while not all Scripture is equally clear to us, because there are some things that are hard to understand, and all Scripture is not equally important. So the, um, some of the temple furniture 
the tabernacle furniture may not be as important as the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ because there are some things that are just more central and main than others. But all that we have is God's word. It's given to us by God for his good purpose and for our good. And Paul says, because all scripture is originated by the creative act of God, his very breathed out word, it's profitable, it's useful for teaching us in righteousness. And that's what he says at the second part of verse 16. The scripture is profitable, it's useful for teaching in righteousness and for correcting us. What could be more effective, more useful for teaching us, to train us in righteousness, for reproving and correcting us, than the Word of God? Because of who God is. God knows us perfectly and completely. God knew exactly what we needed to be saved from and what He saved us for. He's not making up His curriculum as He goes along. Well, oh, shoot, I should have thought of this, I should have thought of that. He knew exactly everything that we needed to be trained in righteousness, corrected, and reproved. There are books for every kind of skill and learning. There's self-help, science, and psychology. Those are useful for their purposes, but no other book can teach us in righteousness. No other book has been breathed out by God for this purpose. That's why it says in Hebrews 4.12, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The scriptures are profitable or they're useful in making us useful, verse 17, making us useful to God and to people, so that we may be completely equipped for every good work in every area of our lives. Now, that's just running over that text really briefly, and now we're going to look at eight principles for reading God's word. These are not the end-all, be-all. There's better, different ways you could say what I'm going to say, but... Hopefully this gives a a fair summary of ways that we need to read God's Word. So the first principle for reading God's Word is plan to do it. You know how the old saying goes, if you don't plan, you fail, right? If you fail to plan, you plan, plan to fail. And so we need to plan to read God's Word. You need to choose a time and a place that's most likely to work for you, one that's least likely to be interfered with, that you won't give up on after the third day, like Friday night when it's time to to head out with your friends. That's maybe not the best time to say, I'm going to dedicate this time to read the Word. Or while you're cooking dinner or uh, just getting ready to leave for work, you know, but find a time and a place that works for you. You say, well, I don't have a time and a place that works for me. Well, can you find five minutes anywhere, somewhere, where you can just take time to be in God's Word? Five minutes, that's better than nothing. Anything is better than nothing, but better to be intentional. So if you're new to the Bible, if you're new to the Christian faith altogether, start with one of the Gospels. A Gospel is found in about two-thirds of the way through your Bible. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Any Gospel will do. That's where you meet Jesus that's a great place to start. Then there are Bibles that help you read through the Bible in a year. There's chronological Bibles that, that take the Bible in historical order. So it arranges all the books in the order that, in which they took place. And so that's a way that you can read through the Bible. Uh, Bibles that are arranged for you with readings to read through the Bible in a year. 
And then, as we mentioned in our uh, bulletin, version, a website, and some of you use that app on your phone, it has tons. You can spend half a day looking at all the Bible plans that they have available for you. So there's no uh, stone unturned with version for plans that are available for you to read, uh, to have a, a plan to read the Bible. So just so you know, the average person reads about 200 to 250 words per minute. There are about, last time I counted, 775,000 words in the Bible. Therefore, it takes less than 10 minutes a day to read the whole Bible in a year. You say, well, I read half that, all right? Then it takes 20 minutes a day to read the whole Bible in a year. So we've given you a couple sample plans um, for, reading, for staying both in the Old Testament and New Testament. I find it's hard to stay away from any one section of the Bible too long. So if you're just like reading the Bible from cover to cover... That's fine, but then you're spending a long time waiting to get to another section. So, again, whatever works for you, but one way to do it is a chapter in the New Testament and a chapter in the Old Testament every day is one way to do it. There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament and 260 chapters in the New. So you'd be about two and a half years reading through the Old Testament and about three-fourths of a year reading in the New, if you do it that way. The English Standard Version Study Bible has its own plan for reading the Bible through in a year. Other study Bibles have that as well. We've recommended two plans. These are not necessarily saying these are the best ones out there, but just two that we think are accessible to you. We've made paper copies available out at the information desk. One is from the Discipleship Journal. It walks you through the Bible in a year, and it takes you through four different sections of Scripture as you, as you do that. Then there's another one that's super intense, Professor Grant Horner's Bible Reading System. It has you reading through 10 sections of the Bible at once and, uh, and at different paces. So, for example, three of the sections are the Psalms, Proverbs, and Acts. They, they get their own section. So you're in them every day. The two sections you're in the longest are Old Testament history and Old Testament prophets, 250 days in those. So it kind of mixes it up. You're reading through different sections, and it puts it in a different order if you can stick with it. It's a, it's a very intense way to study, but it's good if you really want to get a heavy dose of the big picture of Scripture. My own system has been somewhat like that one. It's one I started before I became a pastor, so it was back when I was a normal guy and had a normal job and uh, didn't have you know, any more time than you have, which I still don't have, but, um, and I was reading through six sections of Scripture at the same time, and so it's whatever works for you. It's just you know, find a system, stick with it for a while. If you need to change it, change it, but have a plan. So one of the advantages of reading through lots of Scripture over and over helps and keeps the big picture in mind. This is important because the Bible is one unfolding story of God's plan of redemption. Uh, it helps you keep track, uh, keeps, keeps you aware of the fact that God's plan is unfolding through creation, man's fall, God's redemption of man through Jesus and the consummation, that is the completion of God's plan of of redemption. So creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. The Bible is not a book of religious sayings and moral lists. The Bible is one story written over 1,500 years by 40 different authors. That's one reason. It is so amazing and such a unique book. So reading through lots of Scripture over and over again helps you to, to remember more and more Scripture. I almost said memorize but I find that memorization is a discipline all of itself. 
Uh, but the more you read Scripture, the more likely you are to at least remember more or less what it says. Sometimes you get the address, sometimes you don't, but it just starts building up more and more familiarity with where things are. Uh, when in doubt, you pour out, pull out a concordance. A concordance is a listing of verses. It gives you a phrase, and you can look it up. I find the concordances in the back of Bibles never help me find what I'm looking for. It just never works. So you need a complete, exhaustive concordance. That means you're exhausted if you go through it. But it, it contains every word in the Bible, and you look for that word, and you can find where it is. So if you, the more familiar you get with the Bible, the easier it is to use a concordance because you think, oh, yeah, that phrase, that word is there somewhere. I know it's there somewhere. Also, um, so much reading the Bible uh, in big quantities gives you more and more of a sense of what God has actually spoken. In other words, we need to have our minds saturated with Scripture. Otherwise, God's ways seem weird and distant, and the world's ways seem normal and right. It just happens to us, unless we're saturating our minds with Scripture. And there's no better way to do it than to to be reading the Bible through, uh, if not in one year, maybe in two years. And there are plans to take you through a two-year if you need a little bit slower pace. You know, the way that I do it is I, I read through chunks big chunks at a time, and then I zero in on some some individual spots. I'll talk more about that later. Okay, the second principle is read the Bible every day. You said, didn't you just say that? No, I said plan to read the Bible every day. Then do it. Actually do it beyond the third day of January. There's nothing better for us than God's Word yet we so easily neglect it. The problem is we don't cultivate an appetite for it or keep our newborn appetite for it that that we receive with our new birth. One of the great signs of the new birth is suddenly you got an appetite for the Word of God that you never had before, like Bob was describing of his sons. Uh, This is sort of like eat something nutritious every day. We know we should. We know it's good for us. But junk food is quick, easy, cheap, tastier than nutritious food. Satisfies our short-term hunger. But if if we would just cultivate a taste for nutritious food by continually eating it, we'd reap the benefits of good health. So does Bible reading. Cultivate an appetite for the Bible. You start building up more and more of an appetite for it. The more you take in, the more your appetite increases. And the more you get spiritually healthy. Well, you say, shouldn't, if you say you should read your Bible every day, doesn't that become, uh-oh, it's the big boogeyman, legalism. Oh, no, not legalism. Well, it could be in, if it becomes a heartless checklist of which, of, of which I'm proud if I keep up or feeling guilty if I don't keep up with it. But a commitment to a healthy discipline or regular practice of it is not legalistic in and of itself. So, for example, if I've learned to love green leafy veggies, is there anybody here learned to love green leafy veggies, a few of you? All right, so your mother's trained you well. Or your doctor said, do it or else. Um, so that I eat them daily and I start enjoying and looking forward to it. That's not legalism. It's a, it's a healthy habit that I've learned to love. Or is it legalism to say that I should talk with my wife every day? You say, that's a pretty good plan. Um, If I do it heartlessly and merely because I'm supposed to, it could be. Well, I guess it's our time to talk. Wife, you got two minutes. Go. (laughs) You say, two minutes? That's more generous than I'm 
even with my wife. Is there anything we have to talk about? Now, that would be legalism. But if I delight to talk to her, which, of course, I do thoroughly, even if it goes over two minutes, <laughs> or even if we have hard things to discuss, I engage with her with love and for the good of the relationship. That's not legalism. And if my heart is not always right in talking to her, then I'm not satisfied to stay there. I keep devoting effort to overcoming my heart barriers toward her. So it is with God's Word. Of course we don't want to go through the motion of heartless devotion to reading God's Word. We don't want to go through the motion of heartless devotion to reading God's Word. We want what the Psalm 119 says. My soul is consumed with longing after your rules at all times. My soul is consumed with longing after your rules? I hate rules. Start to learn to love God's Word. You love His rules. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That's not legalism. That's love. How sweet are your words to my taste. Your testimonies are the joy of my heart. I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. So those are the testimonies of someone who loved God's word. And we want to engage God's word daily from the heart leads to the next point. That is, we need to read the Bible with prayer. So I'm not saying only that we're to pray and read the Bible. We are. But I'm saying that we are to pray out of our reading the scripture. So, for example, I pray from Psalm 119, Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to gain. God, help me. A lot of my prayers are, God, help me to get what you're saying. Help me to not just get what you're saying, but do what you're saying. Help me to love what you're saying. Help me to see what I need to see. So I'm praying about God helping me with understanding and applying and wanting to live out his word and causing it to be... uh, Glorious in my sight. Or just taking the word of God and going to God with it. God, this is your word. Would you please do what you say? He loves those kinds of prayers. A lot of the Bible prayers in that are that very thing. God, you said you were going to do this. Now please do what your word says. He'll answer those prayers. Fourth principle. Read the Bible in context. God's Word is not a grab bag of verses for us to pluck and use outside of its meaning and context. Have you ever had your words taken out of context? It's kind of irritating, isn't it? Someone takes what you say and they, they put a completely different spin or a completely different meaning on it than you intended. How often we do that with God's Word. And that is helped by us reading through the whole Bible because we start getting a big picture. We get the larger context of what's going on in God's Word. We're less likely to take a verse out of context and make it mean what it doesn't mean. It can't mean what it's never meant. So one of the rules are we do three things when we come to the text of Scripture. We, what does it say? What does this verse say? And then, what does it mean by what it says? And then, how does it apply? That's not always easy to do, but that's the the process we should go through. So, for example, one of, our, one of our favorite misused verses is, judge not lest you be judged. You read that in context. You take it out of context, and people take it to mean that we're not supposed to make any moral assessment of anybody whatsoever. But in context, you see that Jesus is calling on his followers to help sinning brothers see their error and to be aware of false teachers. You can't do that without making moral distinctions. So he's not saying don't ever make any moral distinctions at all with when he says judge not lest you be judged. What he means is don't judge people for things you yourself aren't willing to do. So you've you got to go to the context. What, what is 
this author really saying? What does it say? Not what do I think it says. A fifth principle for reading God's word is consider how the passage connects to Jesus. That's the Jesus Christ context. At least know that it does in some way or another. Because of God's progressive unfolding plan of redemption, where is this on God's plot line, the plot line of his unfolding story of redemption? You may not always get that, but just know that the more you read the Bible, the more you, oh yeah, this has to do with Jesus in this way. David was a type of Christ, for example. And so we're always asking the questions, how does this text prepare people for Christ, point to the need for Christ, picture or prefigure Christ, prophesy of Christ, present Christ, or teach principles of living in Christ? Peter says in chapter 1 of his letter that the prophets didn't fully understand what they wrote and they searched and they studied their own writings to see what it had to say about the coming of the Christ. So they knew it had to do something with the coming of the Christ, his death and resurrection. They just didn't fully grasp it in its fullness. So all scripture somehow or another relates to Jesus. That is God's unfolding plan of redemption. And then the sixth principle is meditate on Scripture every day. Meditate on Scripture every day. While we need to keep the big picture in mind by reading through the whole Bible at some pace, a year or two, so we don't lose sight of the big picture, and because all Scripture is inspired by God, we need to focus on smaller chunks for meditation. Meditating the Scriptures doesn't mean going into some mystical trance, altered state of consciousness, much less emptying your mind and saying, um, that's not what it means. Uh, Meditating on God's word means thinking frequently and intently about a phrase, a verse, a principle you learn from the Bible. You, You worship, you praise God or give thanks because of what you've read. It means earnestly seeking to cultivate a change in attitude or thinking or action from what you read in God's word. And so some way or another you need to, to, to make it so you have access to, with it throughout the day, whether you write it on a piece of paper, you've got it on the card, you've got it on your electronic device, some way or another to, to take a, something that you've read that day and have it with you throughout the day or sometimes throughout the week. Sometimes that's what I do. I'll take something from one of the texts I've read and, and I'll, even though I'm going beyond reading it, it's so impacted me that I keep, keep, uh, keep it with me for a couple weeks, just thinking about it, praying about it, trying to see if I'm living it out. You're asking yourself, what does this phrase, this verse, this passage teach me about God and his will? Uh, how does it correct and reprove me? What good work does it equip me for? How does it help me fighting sin? How does it help me serving and guiding my family? Or relating to coworkers and doing my work to the glory of God? Or works of mission and mercy? And then right off of meditation is the seventh principle, believing and obeying. Believing and obeying Scripture every day. Believing and obeying the Scripture is the goal of meditating on it. Believe what it teaches you about God, His character, His will, His promises. Believe that if you have received Christ, He has paid for all your sins on the cross and given you new life through His resurrection. Believe Jesus is worth trusting, living for, suffering for. Believe that in Christ, God has given me everything I need for life and godliness. Then in that faith... Repent of what the scriptures reprove and correct me of. Change what they call me to change in my thoughts, words, attitudes, and deeds. 
Put off the old corruption. Put on righteous attitudes and actions that God's word teaches and trains me for. Practice and pursue the good works that God's word completely equips me for. And then the eighth principle is share with someone what impacted you from Scripture. Now, we'll talk more about this in upcoming weeks when we talk about the community life of the church. But that always helps to be able to communicate to somebody else, what did you learn today from Scripture? Something. Well, it's hard work. There's no question. Really getting into God's Word is hard work. But it's worthwhile because it is the words of the living God, as we saw in 2 Timothy. It is the God-breathed word that he's given for our refinement, for our faith, our building up. So start somewhere. Whatever next step you need to take to get more of God's word into you. It's like my old professor, Howard Hendricks, used to say. It's not how many times have you been through God's word, but how many, how many times has his word been through you? And I'll add, and how many times has it borne fruit? So that's my prayer for us as we close today. I'll invite any one of you to come up and Pray about anything going on in your life, things you want to give thanks for, things you want to ask prayer for, and there will be others up here to pray with you. So let's join me, join me as I pray now, and then I'll look forward to praying with you here shortly. Father, as the psalm writer said, forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your word is the revelation of your will. May your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Father, we are strangers to the truth of your word apart from your grace. The only reason your word does not condemn us is because Christ took our condemnation on the cross, which was what your word was pointing to all prior that there would need to be a Savior who would die as our substitute. And that same Savior would be raised again to a powerful life, to a glorious life that he could share with us who put our faith in him. And you said that that very Savior is, was, and is the Word of God himself, Son of God, the Word of God, the revelation of who you are. We don't really get what that means other than you've revealed that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is the Word of God. And so your Word is Him. It's about Him. And so, Father, the more we take in your Word, we ask that by your grace, the more that we would be transformed into the very likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ. And, Father, for those who don't yet know Him, for those who have not yet put their faith in him alone for their salvation. Father, I pray that by your word, the word of truth of the gospel, that Christ alone provides eternal life for those who put their trust in him because he died and rose again. I pray that you would open hearts to receive that truth. But Father, help us. We have busy lives. We have a lot of good things and things that we struggle struggle with in our lives. All the more, we need your word to, to order our ways, to Set us apart as your people, to set us apart as your distinct people. And we we need that appetite for your word that comes from being in your word. And it's sort of a chicken and the egg thing, it seems, Father. But would you help us to be diligent about setting aside daily time to be in your word? Not as a guilt thing, but as a hunger thing 
just as we would desire delicious food or just as we would desire to maintain a, a relationship with someone we love. And until Jesus comes back and we're raised again and we're with him forever, this is what we got, is your word to reveal you to us. And you said in the word that we read today that it is your God-breathed word. And therefore, it is profitable, it is useful for training us in righteousness, for equipping us for every good work. So increase our appetite, Father, for your word. Increase our retention of it. Increase our trusting in it. Increase our love for it. Increase our obedience to it. Help us to love and do your word. And toward that end, to read it and talk it up often. Thank you for the gift of your word, Father. In Christ's name. Amen.